Welcome to Snazzy Stories. Put some pepper in thy step and lend an ear to the terrific tales of the past. Welcome to Snazzy Stories. If you would like to keep the storytelling alive, please go to patreon.com slash snazzy stories and donate to my storytelling adventure. Also subscribe to Snazzy Stories on iTunes and Spotify and many other podcast apps or go to snazzystories.com. Vigilantism is not a new concept in the world and it certainly has its history in the United States. Most people identify vigilantes with the Old West or the Western part of the United States. Violence was no stranger to the history of the Western territories and in fact vigilante committees were formed in many of those territories. But the story I would like to talk about today does not involve such organized groups, but a story of vengeance in the small town of Silver Reef, Utah. Silver was discovered near Leeds, Utah, in the nearby sandstone, which was previously believed to be impossible. In fact, a sample was sent to the Smithsonian Institute, and they responded with, quote, that is an interesting fake, unquote. However, as news of silver being discovered and samples continued to travel in order to prove it was indeed possible for silver to be found in sandstone in this location, it began to attract attention. Silver Reef became a booming mining town. Silver Reef reached its population peak between 1877 and 1880. By 1878, Silver Reef was booming and had many businesses in place. The town had a hotel, boarding houses, nine stores, six saloons, five restaurants, a bank, and two dance halls. Even a newspaper was founded called the Silver Echo. Two cemeteries were also needed, one Protestant and one Catholic. There was only one church in town, which was the Catholic Church, because the majority of people in Silver Reef were of the Catholic religion. There was a total of 37 mines in the Silver Reef district. In 1879, Silver Reef's population was around 2,000 people. Part of the entertainment for all of these residents of Silver Reef was shooting matches among the members of the Silver Reef Rifle Club, also a horse race track along with a brewery and a brass band. Even though this was a mining town, it did not have as many major disputes and acts of violence like other mining towns in the West, or even in Utah, such as Frisco, where on average 12 people were killed a night. However, there were normal mining disputes between the miners and management, and gambling, prostitution, and shootouts were fairly common, just not as common as some other mining towns. However, there is one dark incident that occurred in Silver Reef that brings to light what vengeance can do to people. Thomas Forrest was a Scottish immigrant who was hired to work for the California mine in Silver Reef in 1880. Forrest's behavior became a problem not only for the mine owners, but for the miners themselves. Not a lot is known about the specifics to his behavior, but what is known is that he did not get along with other Scottish and Irish miners because he tended to be quite aggressive towards them. Management became aware of Thomas Forrest causing problems with the other miners. Therefore, the foreman of the California mine, Michael Carbus, was given the task by his boss, Colonel Washington Allen, to fire Thomas Forrest. Michael Carbus was a respectable gentleman from England. He was married with two children and well-liked by the other miners. 
There was a theory that Colonel Washington Allen, the superintendent of the California mine, favored English miners over his other workers. But even if this was the case, firing those who were Catholics over Protestant workers would be bad for business because the majority of residents in Silver Reef were Catholics. Also, there is no record of any other possible acts of discrimination within this company of favoring British workers over Scottish or Irish workers. Whatever the case, on October 2, 1880, when Thomas Forrest arrived at work, Michael Carbus fired Forrest before his shift began and let him know that this termination began immediately. As anyone being fired from his or her job, Thomas Forrest was very upset. And he let everyone that he talked to know that he was upset with Michael Carbus, just as any other miner who had been fired before him. But Forrest took his anger farther than others who had been fired before. He began telling people he intended to kill Michael Carbus. However, the people of Silver Reef did not believe Thomas would actually carry out his threat. Therefore, no one was concerned for Carbus's life. Forrest went home to begin working on his plan to kill Michael Carbus. The next day, he took his knife and revolver and waited by the side of the road, just outside the Buckeye boarding house. Forrest's crime was described by the Salt Lake Herald as follows. Quote, Yesterday, Mr. Carbus discharged a man named Tom Forrest. This morning, as Mr. Carbus was passing towards his business at the mine and near the Buckeye boarding house, he found this discharged man sitting near the road, who asked him to stop as he wished to talk with him. Mr. Carbus said he had no spare time and must hasten on. At this, the man jumped up and sprung after him with a huge sheath knife, which he held in his hand and plunged it into his side. This was witnessed by several at a small distance, and as it happened, the constable, Joseph Hogue, was near and attempted to arrest the murderer, but as the assassin drew a pistol, the officer wisely abandoned the idea and ran for help. In the meantime, several hastened to take up the wounded man and conveyed him home to his family near the Catholic Church. Two physicians were called to dress the wound, but found little hope for life. And at sunset, he calmly breathed his last amid the agonizing sorrows of his wife and children and many friends. Unquote. While the doctors attempted to save Carbus's life, Silver Reef's constable, Joseph Hogue, gathered a large posse of about 100 people to track down Thomas Forrest. The posse included a couple of eyewitnesses of the murder of Carbus. Hogue also enlisted the help of two Native Americans who lived just north of Silver Reef in hopes that they could help track Forrest down. They were able to track Forrest to a mine shaft in the Tecumseh Mine. Hogue arrested Thomas Forrest and took him to the jail in Silver Reef. Many in Silver Reef began thinking about breaking Forrest out of jail and hanging him. After all, Hogue and others were witnesses to Forrest killing Carbus. Therefore, they didn't think he needed to have a trial. But Joseph Hogue's job was to keep Forrest safe in jail until his trial. He was on high alert and watched for anyone attempting to take Forrest. Soon, Michael Carbus's oldest son, Michael J. Carbus, came to visit Forrest in jail and with a loaded pistol. He told Forrest, quote, you have killed my father and I will kill you, unquote. Sounds similar to a threat from Princess Bride, eh? Joseph Hogue was able to de-escalate the situation and get Carbus Jr. to leave the jail. 
After this incident, in order to keep his prisoners safe, Hogue transferred Forrest to the jail in St. George, Utah. Thomas Forrest's story does not end with his transfer to St. George. A group of vigilantes were determined to proceed with their own justice in any city. There is no evidence that Carbus Jr. was the ringleader of this group, but he probably was included in the group. These men believed there was no point to a trial because Constable Hogue witnessed the murder. Therefore, Forrest was guilty and their punishment was justified. Michael Carvis's funeral was held on October 5th and was buried in the Protestant Cemetery in Silver Reef. Michael Carvis was a popular person in the community of Silver Reef and the whole town was affected by his death. All the miners who worked for the California mine were given the day off with pay. A few hours after the funeral, over 100 masked men joined a posse to take matters into their own hands. Constable Hogue and his officers could not control the crowd and all of the masked men who were armed and rode on horseback. They rode out of Silver Reef just after midnight on October 6th. They arrived in St. George by about 2 a.m. The sheriff of St. George was Augustus Hardy. Sheriff Hardy heard the group of galloping men enter his town. He alerted another guard, but there was only two of them that had to try and stop the masked lynch mob. Most members of the mob remained on the street, while some individuals approached Sheriff Hardy and asked for the key to Forrest's cell. However, Hardy refused, and they resorted to force. Hardy and the other guard did their best to fight them back, but ultimately the mob gained the key to the jail. In the basement of the St. George Courthouse, Forrest sat in his jail cell. He had just woken up to the mob who threw a rope around his neck. Forrest was taken a block away to the east of the courthouse, and the mob attempted to hang him on a telegraph pole. But the pole was unable to hold Forrest's weight, and the wood from the telegraph pole snapped. The mob was determined to continue with their sinful deed. They took Forrest to the home of a local farmer, George Cottom. In Cottom's yard was a cottonwood tree and would be the grisly site of the murder of Thomas Forrest. After Forrest was completely dead this time, the lynch mob rode back to Silver Reef, leaving Forrest hanging in the tree and leaving a terrible sight for the people of St. George the next morning. The residents of St. George were shocked to see a man hanging from a cottonwood tree in their town because they were not used to seeing such sights in their town. One man remarked, quote, I have observed that tree growing there for the last 25 years. This is the first time I've ever seen it bearing fruit. Unquote. Sheriff Hardy took down Thomas Forrest's body and buried him in an unmarked grave in the St. George Cemetery. This was the only lynching in St. George, Utah, and it was committed by people outside of their community. Many people who participated in the lynch mob were known to the people of Silver Reef. Friends could be identified by those who watched them ride out of town that night to carry out their own sense of justice. However, not one person was ever arrested and tried for the murder of Thomas Forrest. This seems to be a forgotten event of frontier justice. And yet, even if this darker side of Silver Reef's history has been a bit forgotten, the idea of vigilantism and bringing down the hammer of one's own vengeance is alive and well in the United States today. We have not progressed as far as we maybe think we have or would like to think that we have on many different levels. With forgotten stories of the death of both of these men, we don't think about what vengeance does to people. It creates a mob mentality with tunnel vision, 
of only what such people deem is the right way to proceed, and people lose the ability to think clearly and outside of themselves. The Old West and its violence has in some ways been glorified through music or movies, but the problem is that people don't look deeper into the darker parts of the frontier and the justice that many people chose to wage. They don't see that it was simply not justice at all, but instead chaos roaming the streets. Remember that through the true stories such as the death of Michael Carbus and Thomas Forrest, that we can change the path of our stories for the better. Take some time to remember the stories in the darker part of our history and really look at who we want to become as people. Thank you for listening to Snazzy Stories. Come back again where everyone has a story.